For those of you who have been keeping track of developments in the cryptocurrency space, we're going to be talking about all you need to know about investing in Bitcoin with my in-studio guest who joins me tonight, Farzam Asani. He's the leader of Blockchain Initiative at Rand Merchant Bank. Good evening, Farzam. Good evening, Warren. Good to be here. Great to have you here. I think it's piqued so much interest. We've seen how articles about uh, Bitcoin have flown off the shelves on, on the MoneyWeb website. People are wanting to understand more about these cryptocurrencies. What are these things? How do they work? What are the wider applications? And so I think while we've got the time now, we're going to have a little bit of a chat, I think, around how they work, get your impression and, and understanding of what these things are, and then obviously what the applications and the uses can be. So I think just to kick things off, uh, Bitcoin is one of, I think, there's now hundreds. Thousands. Thousands. And, and the correct word would be crypto. Is crypto it cryptocurrencies, absolutely. Cryptocurrencies, right. But let's start with Bitcoin because it's the most well-known. The underlying architecture around this idea of this uh, cryptocurrency is something called blockchain. Correct. Lead Let's, us out with your uh, definition of blockchain. Sure. I think it's important just to take a step back and try to understand what this is all about before we start talking about prices and why it's gone up so much uh, over the past few weeks, months, and years. And uh, I think one thing that's important to note that is it's digital. We're talking about digital assets. And, and one thing to ask your listeners and yourself, Warren, is uh, we all have computers. And uh, on our computers, we have folders for our music, our, our videos, our documents. But why don't we have folders for our own money? Very few people stop and ask themselves that. And so whenever we have digital money, that digital money resides in a bank today. Right. And any money that we have full control over in our pocket is physical money. Up until about 2009, every time there was anything digital of value, it needed to be managed by a central trusted intermediary. We call these things generally banks or financial institutions. Right. And whenever that value had to be transferred from one account to another, it was that central institution that did the debit and credit to make sure that there was a transfer of value. So this new technology called blockchain technology, and Bitcoin was the first manifestation of this technology, is the first time that we can have digital value that doesn't require a trusted intermediary to do the processing between one individual and another. So that is absolutely huge because Bitcoin doesn't have a CEO. It doesn't have an owner of the network. It's a completely decentralized system that really functions on the activities of participants that are incentivized to make this system work. So it's a really phenomenal system that we're talking about. So just taking that a step further. So it's this concept of what we call open ledgers, as far as I understand it. Yeah, shared ledger. Shared ledger. So I kind of brought it back to the, the experience of what I had uh, studying the, the SASA cards this year, uh, where you have these cards that don't connect to the national payment system. And basically, someone like the government puts value onto the card. So you have the thousand rand social grant that gets paid into the card at, at one point. That card then is not on the grid. But it can go to various merchants and keep a record of its own transactions. And when it connects to the grid, it can also keep transactions of other cards. So you have this thing where you have different people keeping record of what's happening and what's being transferred between other parties, even though they're not the immediate parties involved in that transaction. And that is the basis of verifying multiple transactions taking place all over the show 
uh, without needing that trusted intermediary that you sure. talk about. Is, is Let, let's talk a little bit about that. There's uh, The beauty about this world is that it brings together a lot of different disciplines. One of those disciplines is cryptography. Right. And uh, the way that works at a high level is that there are these things called private keys and public keys. The public key is kind of just like your address, your account number. Think of it just like your email address if you wanted to. Okay. Except it's a series of numbers and letters that nobody knows that you're the one that has that public address. And that public address is then associated with a balance, if you want to think of it like that. And now the entire network knows that a particular public address has a particular amount of Bitcoin on it. And what allows people to spend their Bitcoin is via this private key that they have. That's kind of think about it like a password. Okay. And with that password, you can create a digital signature and send that digital signature to the entire network to prove that the balance at the public key is actually yours and you can then send it to anybody else that you want. So it's a, a beautiful system of cryptography, computer science, economic incentives, game theory that come together to create a system that's really based on incentivizing people to come into a decentralized system and do their part. Right, it's 22 minutes past six, and we've been discussing Bitcoin and the underlying technology of blockchain. Uh, the questions are coming in. We encourage you to get in touch with us. You can call us on uh, 011-731-8500 or tweet us on at MoneyWeb Radio. Alternatively, SMS us on 40938. I'm with Farzam Asani, the leader of the blockchain initiative at, at RMB. Uh, Farzam, we've got some questions coming in here. Pindi in Soweto asks, is Bitcoin not a scam? It's a great question, and actually, I thought it was a scam when I first heard about it, uh, because it's, uh, what is Bitcoin, and the price is going up like crazy. So it's not a scam, but it, it takes some thinking to understand why why that's the case. A scam generally is when people are trying to do you in, take your money, and run away with it, effectively. Right. Bitcoin is not that. If you think about gold, for example, and ask yourself, is gold a scam? A little ounce of gold today, as we talked about a little bit earlier, is worth 1,290 US dollars. All right. Now, is that a scam or not? You know, what happens is that the world sees a particular scarcity in a particular asset, as well as some utility. Gold for many, many years has held its value. It doesn't rust. And so people have seen it as a durable store of value. So with Bitcoin, nobody is actually just trying to promise you anything with it. It's a very scarce digital asset. There are 16.5 million Bitcoins in existence. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. So it's scarce. Right. And there's also a great utility. So right now, if I wanted to send my Bitcoins to anyone in the world, I could do that in a matter of minutes. And it would cost me less than one US dollar to send that value. So if I wanted to say send 10,000 rands to someone in China right now, if I went through the traditional means of sending that money, right. some of those channels cost a lot of money. Sometimes 10%, 12% of remittances actually go to the intermediaries along the way that get captured. You, you compare that to Bitcoin that has a value today that you can transfer across borders that costs me less than one US dollar to do so and arrives there in a matter of minutes. There's actually utility there. So what I would encourage the listeners to, to think about is, number one, don't get too attracted by the price at the moment. Right now, it stands, one single Bitcoin stands at about 63,000 rands. Right. But obviously, you can buy less than one Bitcoin. You can buy fractions of a Bitcoin. Right. But it's a very, very volatile asset. So a lot of people have heard about this volatility. To give you an idea, about a year ago, 
the price was 8,500 rand. So from 8,500 rand all the way up to 63,000 rand, we're talking about over 600% appreciation in a single year. That's kind of unheard of in the financial markets. So that comes about with a lot of volatility. It's gone up a lot. It could potentially come down quite a lot, back up again. So ultimately, as more and more people come into it, that volatility will reduce. The price will likely go up. There are issues with, with the Bitcoin ecosystem because it's decentralized. It is difficult to make updates to the protocol. Just imagine that you've got a group of friends and uh, you put onto a project at school together and nobody's kind of the leader. That often kind of takes some uh, maneuvering to kind of get the group together to move in a certain direction. Right. It's no different with the Bitcoin protocol. So I think it's important not to get so attracted by the financial returns right now if you are thinking about buying some Bitcoin, put in as much as you are willing to lose. Read about it, learn about it. There's a lot on YouTube, on the internet, etc., so that you feel satisfied that yourself that it's not a scam. Nobody can convince you of that except for yourself. Right. Joy from Pretoria is asking, how does one get started? This is a, a fairly practical question. They want you to leave your details, but you're not in the business of trading Bitcoins, right? So just give people a, a, a very quick idea as to how this actually works. They, sure. they open a, an account with a Bitcoin platform. Generally, yeah. So I think one thing that's important to note is because it's such a new asset class, the regulation around it as to what institutions can and cannot do is still kind of uh, the verdict is out, it's still out. So there are certain Bitcoin exchanges. You can Google them and decide which one uh, you want to kind of see for your or use for yourself. Um, I would do a lot of research because some of those Bitcoin exchanges have had problems in the past internationally. So be very careful. Start with small amounts if you want to. And there are many Bitcoin exchanges internationally, as I said, as well in Hong Kong, in the US, denominated in dollars, in, in euros, locally in rands. So you can Google a Bitcoin exchange, find one that you like. You will obviously have to deposit some rands onto that platform. Once you deposit some rands, you can buy some Bitcoin. And then once you have your own Bitcoin, you see on that centralized exchange platform, that's no different to a financial institution because you're trusting them with Bitcoins on their own ledger. So you can look up Bitcoin wallets. And these Bitcoin wallets are basically... Uh, pieces of software that you can have on your phone or your com computer where you take possession of that private key that I was talking about earlier, which is kind of like your own password. So you have full control over your Bitcoin. So that's a little bit, it, it does get technical, but that's why I, just, uh, I say, if you want to get started, find an exchange, do some research, transfer a little bit of money there, buy a little bit of Bitcoin uh, and start reading about it and learning about it. If I've understood you uh, correctly, there's, there's a couple of things that in summary you, you need to bear in mind. Number one is that Bitcoin can be used like money to pay for things. And because of that very low cost of transferring Bitcoins, it's of particular interest to retailers who typically pay out 2 to 3% of a sales price of a good. The transaction cost, the pleasure of having someone pay you over the internet with a credit card, for instance. But on the other hand, you've got people buying Bitcoin thinking that it's going to rise in value. So it's being treated as like an investment. Are those the kind of the two general ways to think about using Bitcoin? Yeah, you know, Bitcoin is, a, is, as I said earlier, because it's not regulated or it's not owned or governed by any government institution or person, it really kind of lives outside the system in a sense. So it can be used as kind of a hedge, if you want to think about it like that, against 
uh, geopolitical uh, disturbances that we talked about earlier. It can be used as a payment mechanism. There are companies like Dell, Microsoft, Expedia that all accept Bitcoin. There are several institutions in South Africa that accept Bitcoin. So it, there are many different use cases for it. But I think right now it's still so early. People are learning more and more about it. So education is scarce. Educate yourself. Understand it. This is going to be a big phenomenon. Great. We're going to have to leave it there. Fazam, Isani, thanks very much for your time. And of course, you can learn more about Bitcoin on our MoneyWeb platform and our MoneyWeb radio shows.